Welcome back to Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. I'm Mark Faulkner, Detroit News Assistant Sports Editor, joined by Ted Colfin, our Red Wings beat reporter. Coming up on the podcast, we'll hear from Carolina Hurricanes TV analyst Trip Tracy. He's a Gross Point Farms native who is approaching one year of sobriety after a public drinking incident on April 26, 2022. But first, Ted, Marco Casper was recalled late last night after that 3-2 victory over the Hurricanes. He was the number one pick from last year's draft. He's only 18 years old. He's 6'1", 192. He spent the entire year in Sweden as a third-line center, eight goals, 15 assists, plus seven. And he led his team in penalties with 72 minutes. And in nine playoff games, he had three assists. So, Ted, what's his status in the Wings organization? Detroit's already signed two players and sent them to Grand Rapids. Six-four defenseman William Wallinder and six-foot winger Carter Mazer. But what about Casper? Well, he's the, obviously the top forward prospect in your organization. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm somewhat surprised. I got to be honest, Mark. I thought he would be headed to Grand Rapids for to join Wheelander and Mazer, but it'll be interesting to see if how many games he gets. If he, I'm sure he will get a couple or two or three games at least. I would suspect. I mean, the reports are good. They're very favorable. Mm-hmm. Uh, plays with the net, so that'll be interesting to watch. But goodness gracious, are we getting old, Mark? Eighteen years <laughs> old. Not too far from the NHL, it sounds like. So you'll definitely get a little baptism here. So that gives, I think it gives everybody a little something to watch during these final two weeks of the season. Now let's hear from Alex Nedeljkovic. He was in goal for last night's victory against his former team, the Hurricanes. And he was in goal for Tuesday's 7-4 victory against the Penguins. Here he is talking about the difference between being a backup goalie waiting for his chance and the number one goalie, like he was for parts of last season. It's a completely different mindset. Um, you know, practices are run a little differently, I think. Um, you know, if you're playing every, you know, two, three times a week, right, usually, uh, not that you're taking practices off, but practices are a little lighter, it seems like. You know, you're maybe not doing as much pre-ice stuff or post-ice stuff. And then, you know, when you're not playing, obviously, you're you're expected to be out there, you know, 20 minutes early, right? You stay on the ice however long after. It's it's a completely different mindset. And, you know, even on the nights that, you, you know, when you're not playing, you got to be ready to go in case something happens. And, you know, you can't can't be caught off and then go in the net and give up four or five and just let it snowball. And, um, you know, you got you got to be ready. Adelkovich has been ready after going down to the minors. He kept the Griffins in the playoff picture with a 13-9-3 record and a 9-12 save percentage. He's also working for a contract. He's making $3 million this year, and he'll be an unrestricted free agent. And Magnus Helberg will be an unrestricted free agent. He's making $750,000 this year. Vili Husso has two more years at $4.75 million. So, Ted, what did you make of Nedeljkovic's last two games and how do you think the goaltending situation is shaping up these final eight games? Well, the Delkovich, this is what they expected to see probably all season. I mean, this is more what we saw most of last year. Uh, it'll be interesting. I, I, w- I would suspect Delkovich still has a place in this organization, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't put too much major money. I, th- I haven't looked over the goaltenders available this summer, but. 
if he plays, uh, if he can sustain this sort of play at least another couple games here before the end of the season, at worst, he's a good number three goaltender here in, in this organization. And let's face it, the guy's had success at the NHL level. It might be partly up to him, Mark. I mean, maybe sure. he gets yeah. a better opportunity somewhere else. I mean, that's entirely possible too. So that's, you know, it'll be a close call. As far as Helberg, I just don't see it, Mark. I mean, he's had spurts where he's shown he can be an adequate NHL goalie, but just not enough of them. He just just mm. not inspire a ton of confidence in my uh, my humble opinion. We'll see. I guess he's in, he's obviously net tonight against Winnipeg, so he's got a good chance here to show something positive. But I just don't see him being a part of the the plan going forward. Nadelkovic, I do think I could. There is a path there that Nadelkovic could return to back up Huso, or like we said, at worst, be somebody available in Grand Rapids. But I think this he'll have. I, I'd be pretty surprised if he does not have an NHL job at the start of next year with somebody. Coming up next on the podcast, today's interview is with Trip Tracy. Joining us now is Carolina Hurricanes TV analyst Trip Tracy, who is a former Harvard and minor league goalie, a native of Gross Point Farms, and now our guest to talk about sobriety and healthy living and gratitude and giving back to the community, recovery programs, and the importance of family, friends, support groups. Trip, welcome to the podcast. As we approach the one-year anniversary of your drinking incident in New York on April 26, 2022, one day at a time, of course, but 11 months of sobriety today. Trip, what have these last 11 months been like for you? Mark, first of all, it's uh, it's terrific to be with you. Thank you. Um, it, it really is. And our, our conversations leading up to this chat uh, now uh, the last 11 months, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking about it because, you know, with mm-hmm. what I did is I, you know, when you're an alcoholic like I am, uh, you, one of the things that you struggle with in that prevents you from truly accepting that you have a disease that you have to diagnose yourself is, is comparing, not identifying, saying, well, mm-hmm. you know, this hasn't happened to me yet. That hasn't happened to me yet. And <laughs> oftentimes it takes the yets to give you the necessary full acceptance. So when I think about April in New York of, of last year, one of those yets was that I never would have fathomed and uh, coming up on 25 years is the television color analyst for the Carolina Hurricanes that I would ever fathom drinking on the day of a game. I did. Um, had a terrible hangover. I went to the morning skate at Madison Square Garden. I came back to the hotel and I had a big time headache. And I there's Advil on every street corner in New York City. And, you know, the insanity of the disease to the mind that I have, you know, I it's 12, 31 o'clock in the afternoon. And I, I, I thought that the yets that having a drink would uh, calm my head down. I was actually reading my game notes for the hurricanes and the Rangers as I, as I did it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that you make me think about that because I try to think about that every day Um, because it, it gives me the full acceptance that I need that I am a thousand percent an alcoholic. Um, So I, 
I reflect back to that. And then I think about the next day coming out of the New York hotel that we were staying at. The Hurricanes had flown home back to Raleigh after winning a game and winning the Metropolitan Division Mm -hmm. on that Tuesday night and licking my wounds coming back Wednesday, not knowing if a job that I had had for well over two decades, if I'd be fired, um, what the future might hold, my drinking costing me uh, a job that I'm so privileged to do and I love so much. But simultaneously, as I was walking out of that hotel, I was mm-hmm. beat up mentally and physically, but I, I, I simultaneously had serenity because I knew no matter what the future held, from an employment standpoint, et cetera, that I had been given a gift, 48 years old at the time, that not a shadow of a doubt, I'm an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And that it, I, this would give me the opportunity this day, walking through that lobby, to make, and you have to make it every day, but make the most important and critical decision of my life. So I think about that. And then I I had had a previous, you know, over a half a decade stretch of sobriety. So I knew what worked in building that foundation. Granted, I elected to drink again after five and a half years, thinking it would be different. It wasn't. Uh, But I, I knew that going to 90 meetings in 90 days. I, uh, the 12-step program that I go to is anonymous in nature. Uh, so I will respect that. Um, and that's very important. But I knew that if I started my 90 and 90 again, uh, prioritize my recovery first. Uh, my desire was to come back and do it in Michigan. Uh, my mom is there. My dad passed away a few years ago. And I knew of a great uh, meeting that I would go to in the 12 step program that I, I do go to back in gross point, the team blessed that I would do it. So once I put the, and the team massively supported right from the get go, Don Waddell, my dear friend, Rod Brindamore, my owner, Tom uh, Dundon. And, and then I just got myself back to Michigan. Yeah. I knew I was going to miss the playoffs. That was a uh, much necessary consequence. Mm-hmm. I could have justifiably been fired from my job. Uh, but uh, I would say that these 11 months, I've I've enjoyed every bit of it. Uh, it's, you know, they, you speak about trudging the road to happy destiny, the immense support. I remember sitting in the LaGuardia Airport as I was uh, flying back to Raleigh. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rod called me. Uh, Sidney Crosby called. We talked for two or three hours. Uh, and the governor of North Carolina, uh, my, my friend Roy Cooper tweeted support of me because my, uh, my incident had become public because of my own decision-making. Um, so I had peace and I knew, I, I knew that this is an action program. It's, it's about recognizing your way isn't working, but it's not like all of a sudden that Aladdin shows up with a magic carpet and says, I'm going to take you for the ride of your life. I mean, you, you got to work at it. And I knew what the work needed to be because I had done it before in, in building the foundation, my previous long stretch of sobriety. And I got back to Michigan, had uh, several great months with my mom, built the necessary foundation, canceled all my previous plans for the summer, and then was able to come back in mid-September here 
for the beginning of the season with the Hurricanes, and it's just been it's been an unbelievable ride. Trip, you mentioned Rod, Rod <laughs> Brindamore, your dear friend, the coach of the Hurricanes, former Michigan State Spartan who led Carolina to a Stanley Cup title in 2006 as a player. And now as a coach, he's led the team to the playoffs for five straight seasons. He said the story here, Trip, is how do you move forward when tough things happen? He said everyone was concerned about you that night when you didn't show up to work. He called his wife to contact you. But just as quickly, Rod said, as soon as they found out you were okay, he said, what's done is done. And then he said, you took ownership. You didn't blame others. And he said that happens a lot. What advice then do you have for people who are family or friends like Rod Brindamore who didn't sign up for these tough times? Rod said friendships can get stronger trip. In fact, he said you've been there for his family, but he also said it can weed out your friends. The first thing I think about is our friendship. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, I've, I've experienced, you know, some times where I'd like to think that, um, I've been there for Rod and his family, um, but he, his belief in me, uh, it's just a, it's a highlight of the human experience, special thing. Uh, and a couple things come to mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, when I, when I did, I told him about my 90 and 90. And once I got, I hit that 90 day mark in July uh, you know, we talk all the time and, uh, he called me and he said, well, what are you going to do now that, you know, you're at the end of your 99 I said, I'm going to start another 99. <laughs> so that's how it rolls, Rod. And, um, so you fast forward and, um, and I oftentimes on the road, I, you know, Rod eats in about less than five minutes, six o'clock every night with the coaching staff. I mean, if you wait to order for more than 30 seconds, it's long. He gets antsy, and um, we've had a bunch of coaches' dinners on the road this year. Just fabulous conversation. But the the neatest thing is uh, this past Friday, his son Skyler, who plays at uh, Quinnipiac, he's like a nephew to me. He is family, and uh, Rod and I and his uh, you mentioned his beautiful wife Amy uh, and his son Brooks. We flew up. It was between games. The Hurricanes played the Rangers on Thursday and played the Leafs uh, on Saturday. I, we were able to fly up together uh, to Bridgeport, Connecticut, and watch Skyler play uh, for Quinnipiac against Merrimack. And they ended up uh, winning that game, and Skyler had the game-winning goal yesterday to punch Quinnipiac's ticket to the Final Four. They beat Ohio State. That'll make a lot of Michiganders happy. <laughs> and um, and just to be able to experience that day on Friday with uh, Rod's family, which they're a family to me, uh, was was what it's all about. And that's a gift of sobriety. Um, it, hey, we're all lucky if we can say that um, we have enough true, true friends, mm-hmm. unconditional friends, people that you aspire to be more like. They can fill the fingers on one and your thumb on one hand. And um, Rod certainly is uh, one of those people to me. And advice to others when they when they're in these situations, we saw how Rod Brendamore reacted right away. He was in your corner uh, trip. He talked about how you were kind to so many people and those people uh, were very kind to you as well. 
any quick thoughts about advice for for people who are put into these situations when either a loved one or a friend, a colleague uh, comes out and and needs help? Well, the first thing that comes to mind, Mark, is it's so hard to do. It's when the phone is heaviest mm-hmm. to answer the phone or pick up the phone. Uh, when I was in my New York hotel as I was missing the game, um, Amy Brindamore Rod's wife called me and one of the few people that I would pick up the phone as heavy as it was. And I did, <laughs> she implored me to, uh, get room service to get some food in my stomach. And I did. And, uh, I, I, I remember not to go on a tangent, but maybe an hour or two later, uh, you know, I figure I'm losing my job. You know, I could have hit the streets in New York city. It's probably 10 30 at night. I'm in this dark hotel room, mini bars empty. And, uh, I've got this, these trays of room service because Amy Brindamore implored me to get them. <laughs> my body's sore. And, um, and I had what I would consider to be a moment of clarity where I looked around at all of this. And, and I said to myself, this drinking thing is not working. And it's not only not working, it stopped working a long time ago. And I think picking up the phone, and I obviously haven't had a drink since, um, but picking up the phone when Amy called me, uh, my wonderful uh, uh, general manager who actually was with uh, Passports, he was a producer uh, decades ago uh, for the, the Detroit Red Wings, Jeff Genther, who runs my region for Valley Sports, he called me as well. Mm-hmm. And I, oh, he's a, he's not just my, the head of our whole region. He's a brother to me. Um, but picking up the phone when you, when you're in a very tough mental space, um, that's when you tend to mark, want to isolate the very most. That's when you need to communicate. That's the first thing. And it mm-hmm. takes, courage. it takes courage. Uh, and then the second thing would be, you know, if you make a mistake and I made a self-created mistake and the very definition of poor decision-making, if you have the opportunity to do so, own it, mm-hmm. own it, and then go to work. And um, it's amazing what can happen. So the phone, try to avoid how heavy it gets and then uh, missteps, own them take the necessary action then um, to move forward and and learn from it and come out of it better than ever. I also talked to your cousin, Jim Farley, the CEO of Ford. His mom was your dad's sister. He said this isn't his first rodeo, that his cousin, Chris Farley, the comedian on Saturday Night Live, died of a drug overdose in 1997. He said he had another cousin, who his mom was so proud of. And when his siblings would ask his mom, why are you celebrating that person? That that person was basically a drunk or drug addict. His mom would say, because they had a harder road to walk than you did. Jim said, this is a very exciting time for you, Tripp and your family, that we all have burdens we're carrying. And that as a public figure, you can share your journey and help others cope with addictions. In fact, your sister Tiffany said the same thing. She said, it's been inspiring hearing you speak to others in need and see how people are reacting. She said, you're continuing the tradition of your parents and grandparents 
who gave their time, talent, and treasures to help others. So, Tripp, do you feel the weight of these expectations as well as your own expectations? Uh, well, you're really getting me, Mark. Uh, <laughs> well, first of all, everybody thinks of my cousin Jim as the CEO of Ford Motor Company. This is one of the most anonymously service-driven people Mm-hmm. the most my sister's right there and then they have an unbelievably close friendship beyond being family um that i think is is all service uh motivated and that goes back to my my grandfather my name's emmett tracy my grandfather was emmett tracy senior my dad emmett tracy jr and uh, my grandmother um Francis Tracy and 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 they were self-made. They were all about helping others mm. to the point where um, when Pope John Paul II actually came to Detroit in a little mini gathering with the Archbishop at the time, Archbishop Shaka, um, the Pope was introduced by Archbishop Shaka to my grandparents' most generous people in Detroit. Um, and uh, I, 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 with the massive difference making lives that they lived, that my dad lived, Jimmy, my cousin was on a trip for Ford in mainland China. He came right from the airport to be at his godfather, my dad's funeral in Gross Point, St. Paul's on the lake. Uh, that's how special my dad was to Jimmy. I got to get myself together, but, um, Hundred percent. These are people that I admire. My sister, my cousin Jimmy. Not because of what they've accomplished, but because of the people they are. Mm-hmm. And, and with success, take Jimmy. That's never changed. It'll never change. He was working for Toyota. Great job with Toyota. And I wouldn't want to speak for him, but I think the opportunity when it came at Ford many years ago. He came back because he knew that my grandfather uh, worked at the Rouge plant, original Ford assembly lines, and uh, he had a particularly close uh, friendship with my grandfather. And I think that that was central, my own thoughts on his decision uh, to come back to Pure Michigan and now is the outstanding CEO for Ford. Um, The reason I don't feel any pressure with regards to expectation Mm -hmm. i mentioned jimmy and my sister tiffany uh they don't speak from the mountaintops about it but faith is central to who they are uh the work that they've both done with the pope francis center in detroit um jimmy's made a massive difference my sister has done a lot of great things um there and i'm a believer that um God is everything or God is nothing. And that has given me such comfort in these 11 months. And truthfully, I can't think of any bad days because I think that God gave me full acceptance, did something for me that I couldn't do for myself. I have to continue to do the work on a daily basis, but that's what feels different for me than previous, that previous long length of sobriety is that um, God has removed the, the obsession to drink. Um, 
And I've also, in my personal relationship with God, I've I, I've been given clear-cut messages uh, that I've been given all these gifts in my life. I grew up in a fantastic environment mm-hmm. and point. Um, best parents in the world uh, was able to chase the dream of being a professional hockey player. Pete Carmanis, uh, a Detroiter, gave me the job on the Hartford Whalers and Carolina Hurricanes with no experience. Pete always has believed in me. But all these gifts and Mark, in my view, God has asked one thing for me. One, don't drink. And um, I was given a gift a couple of days after New York. My closest friend from back in Michigan is a guy named Nick Giorgio. We met at the University Liggett School in Gross Point when he was 12 and I was 13. Mm-hmm. When I came after New York um, and I had my meeting with uh, with my president and general manager, another Michigan man, Donnie Waddell. And Don put his arms around me and said he was good. He was going to support me. Um, and I was packing up to go to Michigan. Didn't want to be a distraction in the playoffs. So I was, I was hustling to get out of here as quickly as I could to get to Michigan for those reasons. And my friend Nick, this is a couple days. This is the Saturday after New York happened on Tuesday night. He and I, have, we love fishing. And we had um, been in um, many trips fishing in Miami. And we had caught virtually every saltwater fish that there is, Mark. <laughs> One fish for three years that we hadn't caught. We hadn't even gotten a bite was the swordfish. We call it the elusive swordfish hunt. And... I wasn't with him because I was packing up, but he went out on that Saturday and he caught a 210 pound swordfish. And for me, that was the gift of all gifts because that is my dad. His birthday would have been that next day, that Sunday, May 1st. And God saying, Trip, good decision that you're starting back on this path and stick with it. Um, so I don't feel any expectation. That's the mm-hmm. gift of all gifts. I know the work that I have to do, Mark, on a daily basis, but um, it's a gift to get that type of communication. And if, if I'm available and if I'm willing to be able to listen, to get out of the way, I have a dog. He's actually in training. He's back in secondary training right now, but I <laughs> named him Frank after Sinatra just as a constant reminder that my way wasn't working. And uh, and so with all of that and the unbelievable extended family going back to my grandparents, then I'm so grateful to have a last name like Tracy. Uh, I, I don't feel any expectations. I'm just terribly excited to be able to, by staying on the road that I want for myself, uh, like Jimmy and my sister mentioned, I have a chance to hopefully really positively impact uh, the lives of others. Trip, thanks for sharing that particular story. And finally, what else do you want people to know about addiction? Your addiction counselor, Brian Spitzbergen, talked to you right after the incident in New York, and you spent time with him twice a week in the summer, remote meetings, staying grounded. He said the ego has to be smashed. And if you're truly going to serve, 
it can't be for promotion or attraction to fame that that's a death sentence if it starts to be about you. You're in this hockey environment with so many friends who you've been good to, and now they're reaching out to you. You mentioned earlier Wayne Gretzky called when you and your mom were watching a game on TV. Your sister says April 26 could have been the best thing that ever happened to you. Do you think she's right? Yes, no question. Mm -hmm. uh, because I have a disease where my, my body in my mind, it's, it's a disease of the mind, but it gave me a chance to mm -hmm. really look at my past, uh, do a rigorous inventory about it, try to figure out what the heck my character defects are. And I've got many, um, make amends, uh, when they're appropriate. And, uh, then that gets you to the present and it builds a relationship, uh, with, with God. And, um, what would I say? I would first of all say, and Brian, by the way, has 36 years of sobriety. Mm -hmm. He's about my age. So if I wish one thing, it would be for young people that struggle, struggle with alcoholism and addiction to get it. I'm 49 years old to be able to get that surrender and acceptance that I struggled with for so many years thinking I wasn't and I'm not, to be able to get that a couple of decades before I got it. Because I think it's so much more difficult. Teenagers, people in their 20s, their whole lives in front of them, and, and thinking, what's my life going to be like without alcohol? And man, even if I do this, my life's going to be totally different. And if you just have that acceptance that you can live a happier, more joyous, more free life than you could ever have fathomed, that's the, the first thing that I think about. And the second thing is my experience, so grateful for this, but it doesn't make me any difference, different. It, it only my story is about alcohol. Uh, I think the stigma attached to alcohol, Mark, has come so, so positively. It, it's come such a long ways that than where it was years ago. Um, and people understand that alcoholism is a disease. I still think that there's work, even though my experience is now, I think there's work to to lessen the stigma with regards to addiction of of the other drugs that are out there because alcohol is is but a drug. Um, and there are many others. So that would be a definite uh, hope um, when I think about um, the very positive difference. Hopefully we can, you know, all continue to on a daily basis strive to make. And when Brian said that the ego has to be smashed, mm -hmm. I believe the acronym ego is edging God out. You know, I, 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 I had dreams watching Hockey Night in Canada, going to Joe Lewis Arena, uh, and playing street hockey in Gross Point between periods of Hockey Night in Canada. And I gave everything I had to my hockey career. And I think that developed a form of, of wanting to control every situation. And in fact, it's, again, it, this is no way of saying that you don't have to work to the ends of the earth. But letting go of control and stepping over from the, you know, your wheel, your hands on the driving wheel to the passenger seat um, can be the single 
best decision of your life. And uh, I just, I hope that through my own experience that it took me so long to gain the acceptance that Mm -hmm. I have an, I am an alcoholic. That's my cross to bear life. I don't even necessarily think of it as a cross to bear because of the public nature, which I created of my public incident in April in New York of last year. The fact that it went public, I have such an opportunity to be of service to other people. Just, I don't want to go on and on, but I am going on and on. A couple of times this year, Mark, I shared with you offline, I ran into just, just circumstance, a couple of officials in the National Hockey League. You know, I do a bench interview at the beginning of every game. And one official told me that uh, when he was a young uh, young boy, that his uh, dad struggled with alcoholism, and and he has a totally different perception of what alcoholism is now than he did when his father struggled with it when he was a kid. Uh, and another more powerful uh, a referee told me about his young son that is struggling with addiction. He's a teenager, and these are two dear friends of mine that would not have known that I'm an alcoholic if it wasn't for the public nature of my disease. And now who knows, maybe, uh, you know, I have an opportunity to make a difference um, in, in the, my one, uh, the referee that is a dear friend in his son's life. Um, so th- these are, in, this is the highlight of the human experience. We are here to serve. We're here to try to positively make a difference and, in my 49 years uh, on this planet, I've never been given an opportunity like this. And I'm, I'm not going to let that opportunity go. Thanks again for coming on our podcast today. Ted Colfin and I thank you for sharing your story of hope, the importance of service and recovery programs and leaning on friends like Rod Brindamore and family like Jim Farley, your sister and brothers and your mom, all the best going forward. And good luck with all of these exciting next steps in your life. Mark, thank you so much. Um, It is truly, it's special and it's a privilege to be with you. Our thanks again to Trip Tracy. You can find his story online on Saturday morning at DetroitNews.com. Now let's hear from Derek Lalone. He became the first Red Wings coach in 81 years to be either ejected or suspended from a game. Talking to Red Wings statistician Greg Innes, he said Jack Adams was suspended in the 1942 Stanley Cup final against the Maple Leafs after punching a referee, Mel Harwood, after the game. Here's Lalone on his ejection after arguing a call by referee Garrett Rank in that Penguins game. I was shocked. Um, I, I, the, I just probably had accumulation of my demonstrative reaction on the initial call, which probably wasn't. It was probably a little much. And then our conversation at the timeout, which was almost three minutes later, was was very calm. I just think he had, had had enough, probably the combination of both. So I I was a little shocked. I don't know if it warranted that, but he has every right to do that. He's trying to manage a game. Um, so, you know, as far as the call, I, I would stand, I would make that challenge 100 out of 100 times. Um, very comfortable with it. Um, our video coaches... You know, it's their job, every angle. You know, they ultimately will flash the the call, the goal interference. We just had a lot of time because they were reviewing from over the line. And um, it's very comfortable with it. Um, didn't go our way you know, for whatever reason. So, um, you know, even as a staff, I think we probably have to do a better job. Uh, we've made three challenges in goal interference this year. We've missed on all of them. And 
all three I would do all over again. So maybe it's it's a little more on us to maybe not take the the, the rule sixty nine three and sixty nine seven. We literally took it black and white and literal, where LJ the video coach literally read me the exact rule and it fit exactly what it was and we challenged it. So maybe maybe there's something we're not seeing or maybe it's a trend the league's heading, but I'm a little more disappointed and you know I've put our team down three times, so we'll need to be a little bit better in our challenges. Ted, what did you make of that interference call and the ejection? It was certainly an entertaining game. The wings were up three nothing, then it was three three, four four, and then David Perron had the natural hat trick in the third period. And the overview, Ted, the wings are one game over 500 heading into that Winnipeg game tonight. And they're still playing meaningful games as we head into April. Tomorrow's April 1st. And the wings are not mathematically eliminated. They're nine points behind the Penguins. What do you think about the one-off incident with Lalonde there who expressed regret right away for his actions? And how about the job he's done? Just an overview with his eight-man coaching staff this year. Right. I think he's done a very good job. Like you said, I think... At this point in the season, being over 500, I think a lot of people would be more than happy with that if we had, if they had been told at the start of the year this is where the Red Wings would be. Mm-hmm. The ejection, just judging from everybody's, you know, just talking to people around there, we were close by, and some, you know, some players, and obviously, Lalone and his, his assistants seemed like everybody was a little surprised by the ejection. I mean, it may be possibly not warranted. I don't know. I mean. Seemed like he got a quick heave ho for something that, you know, for that type of language you probably hear every day at an NHL bench. So, I don't know, maybe a little bit of a quick trigger, but just the fact it was kind of interesting to just see his reaction the day after. I mean, he seemed a little embarrassed by it, didn't just didn't want to represent the organization that way, didn't want to represent himself that way. So, you know, over and done with. Uh, sure did add a little bit more spice to the game. Mm-hmm. It was one of the more entertaining <laughs> games of the season, frankly. I mean, Pittsburgh rallies with those three goals in the second period, then the Wings come back in the third. Hey, they've, the Wings continue to be thorns in a lot of these teams' sides. It'll be interesting to watch tonight in Winnipeg. It's just a big game for Winnipeg, but the Wings have had success against the Jets here the last couple of years. So if they can get another victory, you know, good for them. They're definitely not, yeah, they have not thrown the towel in on this season by any stretch of the imagination. And finally, Ted, a sad note for us here at the Detroit News. Jerry Green, our longtime columnist who covered 56 consecutive Super Bowls, died last week. He was 94. Jerry was also a big hockey fan. In fact, on episode 46 of our podcast, he talked about his first introduction to Detroit sports. It was uh, November of 1954, and I knew I wanted to go to a hockey game that night because I knew the Red Wings were playing the Maple Leafs at Olympia Stadium out on Grand River, and uh, I went, got a ticket for the game, Sat there. There was a fight in the second period, um, hitting Ted Lindsay against one of the Leafs. I think it was Jim Thompson, and uh, Lindsay won the fight. Of course, he always did. Uh, I had heard of Lindsay and how, and 
Sawchuck, Terry Sawchuck, and all those guys. The Leafs won the game one nothing. It ended. Somebody yelled something derogatory at Terry Sawchuck, who was a great goalkeeper. And uh, Sawchuck, uh, in his anger, losing one nothing to the Leafs, uh, who were the hated Leafs, tried to get at the guy. He started climbing up the end, over the end boards. And back then, they didn't have plexiglass. They had wire netting. And Sawchuck and his pads got all, all caught up and impaled on the, on the wire. He could get, get off. So here comes Lindsay, climbs over the boards and walks along the seats, the red seats at uh, Olympia on his skates and goes to the presumed assailant uh, who had yelled uh, at Sawchuck, said, go ahead and shoot off your blankety-blank mouth and whop, whop. <laughs> and Lindsay beat the guy up, the smithereens. And Lindsay left and the poor guy said, what did I do? And, uh, and that was my introduction to Detroit sports. So good, those Jerry Green stories. And you know, Ted, he was right on about many of those details, all of those details in that game. It was November 11th, 1954. He thought it was Ted Lindsay fighting Jim Thompson. Well, they fought in the second period at the 15-11 mark. It was one nothing for Toronto. Sid Smith scored the only goal. Harry Lumley got the shutout. And the heckler, and what a rough crowd back then. The Wings were Stanley Cup championships that year in 1954. They had just won the Cup three times in five years, and they won again in that year, 1955 as well. Four Cups in six years. 1955 was the last year they won the Cup until Steve Eisenman led the Wings over the Flyers in the 1997 Cup. And Jerry Green was there too. He retired as a columnist in 2004. So, Ted, what do you remember most about Jerry Green. Uh, just a pro's pro. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think he coined that phrase, ink stained wretch, and boy, he was one <laughs> of them, I tell you. No, just a pleasure to work with, pleasure to deal with. Uh, fantastic writer. Oh, my goodness. He was, I, as growing up, I mean, he, he, it was, he was a must-read, him and Joe Falls, and just to have both of them on staff, what a great, great opportunity, just talking to them, learning from them. He had a, what a life. I mean, what a life he had and being going, having gone to every Super Bowl, what a remarkable statistic that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, good for him. I mean, it was just a, a life lived well, good man, tremendous newspaper man. And, you know, God rest his soul. For more on Jerry's Hall of Fame career, we'll link to Wojo's column and Tony Paul's obit in our show notes and that podcast will be there too. And that'll do it for the latest episode, episode 88 of our Detroit news, Detroit Red Wings podcast. You can also find all of Ted's stories online at detroitnews.com as well as on our Octopulse Facebook page. Thanks again as well, everyone for listening, rating and reviewing these podcasts. (laughs) 